This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. People who are spooked like your boy who is the star of this podcast show i'm probably the star (laughs) i think you are so everyone who knows me but doesn't know you and listens to any of the podcasts we do always heavily compliments you and doesn't say heaps about me they're always like that peach he's really good isn't he and i'm always like yeah he's good and and they're like and he's got a great voice and i'm like yeah no he does and and it's like oh and I wonder what he looks like. <laughs> yeah, that is a pretty good looking guy. So yeah, Look, like for I think we could never I, seen me. I am a very good looking. I'm extremely good looking. You're not like you're you're a solid eight. And uh, I'm I mean, a solid no, no, five with eleven out no. of ten charisma. And so no, no, that's peach, a peach, confusing peach. thing. I'm like a university marker. I'm like a credit is a good score. You're a mid level distinction. You're not a no, high. I'd get sixty four on that. I'd get a strong pass. I get a really strong, strong. strong and they were thinking pass. about giving you a credit. They were like, "Oh, do we?" They were he- like, "We just need to know it's a no <laughs> for a credit." <laughs> but good on you. <laughs> so I get a, I get a very high pass in attractiveness. But to go back to that point, yes, you know, because as as we say, I do all the work for this podcast, but everybody only sees you. You are the breakout star of Spooko. <laughs> We're up to 68 followers on Instagram. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, look, I've just totally lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm not alone in being spooked, but, but, but what we're finding is that everyone in their being spooked career has points in their history that stand out of like the time when you were desperately spooked. Kind of similar to what we discovered in Fussy Eater, the last pub we did, which was all about my, you know, psychological aversions to food. Every human probably has the ability to enjoy horror films, but at some point developmentally they're stunted or it's broken. And then from then on, they don't enjoy them. And Peach, I feel like you might have, you've got a few, but I'd love to hear what the one you're going to bring up today. So this was at uh, Adrian Hill's 13th birthday, I think. And 13 is that funny age, especially for fuckwit boys, which you could definitely describe me as, even though I'm a 6.4 out of 10 adult now. <laughs> um, hey, Peach, what, what grade would you give me? I'd give you a 74, 7.4 out of 10, maybe 75. A high in fact, credit. In fact, no, I'd give you 75 because I think to get into credit, you have to be um, superficially above average, which, which you certainly are. And then to get into distinction, I think you have to have, like distinction is first class honors. Like you might be university marks. I'm University of Sydney, university marks, Sandstone University around here. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd put you in first class honors because 
you are physically above average in nice to look at. Um, and you have a layer of magic layered on top of that. So I reckon 75 out of 100, 7.5 out of 10. That was the nicest 10, 20 seconds I've experienced in a little while, Peach. Thank you. All right, sorry. Continue. 13-year-olds, you're at Adrian Hill's birthday party. Yep. I think you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, because it's like 14th birthdays where you start having girls around and it's sort of like a proto-party sort of vibe. So it's all boys... Um, and we go to, uh, sh- the, and also obviously shout out to the non heteronormative people. A thousand percent, a thousand, thousand, thousand percent strongly agree. And so, uh, we, and, um, you know, a significant number, like 12 to 20, somewhere in that sort of pretty big range, um, 14 year olds, um, cisgendered heteronormative boys, 13 year old head off to the manly quarantine. And Shag, you might have been to this or you might know of this, but Manly's a suburb in Sydney where um, up until I think the 1960s or so, it was a quarantine station. And so when they came into, when they, them from other countries came into Australia, you'd have to spend some time in quarantine. And sometimes if you're suffering from a really bad disease, you die. And rumour has it, there are still ghosts right there at the Manly quarantine station. And so this sounds fucking lame to you, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I'm actually kind of into it. Like, it doesn't um, sound scary, but it sounds fun. And so we did basically a ghost tour. It was walking around at night of this fairly spooky thing in the dark. Being like, look over there. There's a window where they say, if you look over there, old smallpox Tom might reach <laughs> his hand through and bring you through to fucking whatever it is. Or like... <laughs> Little Julie, I haunt your dreams forever. And so, and, and we drive home in, you know, two very patient parents in their minivans who are going, fuck, that sucked, who cares? And I was full of 13-year-old boy. I was like, yeah, man, fuck that, like, whatever. Yeah, and so we're all like, whatever, yeah, who cares? And I was 13 years old. And so I was like, yeah, night, loser mum and loser dad. I'm just off to go to sleep, like whatever. So this is after you came home from the quarantine yeah, tour like, yeah, with smallpox, like, Tom. And so you know, <laughs> I sort of start preparing for bed, and I'm like, and I can't get smallpox, Tom, out of my head. And every window I look out, I presume I'm going to see smallpox, Tom, going to come and knock on the knock on the window. And so I resolve for the first time in let's say five or six years up to that point but I'm probably going to need to sleep in my mum and dad's bedroom. And I'm like, guys, so sorry. <laughs> and so I dragged in to be like, I'm just going to need to sleep in here, you guys. You were 13. 13. 13's like, voice, like you've heard my voice. Like I sounded like this as a 60 kilogram, 13 year old manly quarantine tour attendee. <laughs> and I even remember the strategies I had to go to that night of like, I had to imagine... I was opening the batting for the Australian cricket team facing Kirtley Ambrose. And I was like, right, I need to concentrate extremely closely on imagining that I'm playing cricket for Australia (laughs) in order to not think about smallpox, Tom, (laughs) in order for me to go to sleep (laughs) one night in the rest of my life. And it's been a formative horror movie experience. A formative spooko experience. That is the sweetest story. I love that story. So I feel like, because I feel like I had a few of those. And 
there, there were two films in particular growing up that I could not watch at all. Um, I saw Gremlins when I was, I, I call it Gremlins. It's Gremlins. I know it's Gremlins. I always get paid out by Adele. She's like, what do you call it? And I'm like, it's Gremlins. And she's like, what, what, what's it called? For some reason, I call it Gremlins. I'll call it Gremlins till the day I die. I think it's a better name than Gremlins. Let's call it Gremlins. Whatever. That's what I do. Deal with it. Everybody can like, go, yeah, fuck. Deal I with know. it. I think it's a better name. <laughs> Deal with it. I love that everyone it. else has to deal with it. It's like, fuck you guys. <laughs> I'm just out here living my best life. You yeah, want to call it Gremlins? Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, so I saw that when I was far too young. And it, like, I couldn't watch that until I was easily in my 20s. Like, um, kids, kids horror, just to get distracted, like, kids horror was a genuine genre. Oh. Like, hey, this is a fucking horror mo- movie, but don't worry, eight-year-olds can see it. Yeah, it was like, oh, it's PG. Don't worry. Come on. Come see this film <laughs> where this serious? evil being from, from outer space will have a chainsaw at the end in like a toy shop stalking the whole... Like, even thinking about it now, that final scene is scary as hell. Now, the other one that I couldn't see, and, you know, like I was almost you, Peach, uh, was Child's Play. Because <laughs> when I was in... <laughs> you dodged the bullet. <laughs> I was almost to 64. When I was, um, when I was in primary school, a friend of mine, Kieran, had seen it, or his like older brother or older sister had showed it, shown him Child's Play, and he recounted the story to me scene by scene, like you know we would with Wikipedia. And I had only seen the cover of the box in the video store of like Chucky the Evil Doll and heard him talk about this film, and it just haunted my nightmares all through my childhood and teenagehood. But then I finally saw it, right? And I think we've talked about this before, but like Chucky is not scary. Chucky is not like Chucky would be the scariest creation ever if he talked like a doll and was like, I'm going to kill you now. But Chucky, no shit, is all like, oh, fuck the Chucky fuck. stuff. I'm gonna smooch some babes <laughs> and do some drugs and stuff. Yeah, and then in like sequels, he ends up having sex with another doll played by Jennifer Tilly. And it's just, it's just not cool. Like, it's not scary at all. And that was one of those moments. That was one of those light bulb moments where I was like, oh, wow, horror movies aren't scary and are easy to get through for me. Anyway, so... Look, that's that's a whole that's a whole side topic, and I think that's I think that's all super interesting. But Peach, I feel like what we're doing right now is what you know I was able to do with Child's Play. We're doing for the entire genre. But before we get to today's film, mm. I just wanted to continue the story of Eyes Up because I think More it's really film. important. It's good. Yeah, which I think it's really important we get to you know the conclusion of Eyes Up because I think we're in a really good space, and I don't want to just leave it. So. Where we are so far in Eyes Up, uh, it's set in a world, uh, it's, it's set in the year 2031. <laughs> so things are a little bit more futuristic, but they're not so crazily futuristic that we'll have to build entire sets. We can still basically film wherever we want to film, right? Uh, it's in a world where there's a demon virus, which is essentially this mad space demon virus. virus member. Comes from space. Yes. A space demon virus. Yeah, that's right. It comes from a demon that was in space. It looked at someone. That person was open to the wonders of the universe. And then within two days, their eyes explode and they go crazy. And it keeps, like, if you look into someone's eyes, blah, 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 right? So you can't look into people's eyes because this space demon virus will be passed on. So everybody has to keep their eyes down. And it starts in an asylum for blind people because classic human nature, everybody decides the blind people caused it because they don't know that it's a space demon that caused it. Uh, And our hero, who is unnamed, at the start of the film, 
is uh, escapes this asylum when somebody catches the space virus and he's able to wear someone's skin as is a classic horror movie trope to escape. That's where we're at. Is that correct? Yep. I think we rename him from the man to the blind man. I feel like that makes him sound Ooh. more wise. All right, Pete. So I just want to, so, so what I want to say right now might fuck with that uh, um, pseudonym for this man. Because I think at this point, we're about 20 minutes in, and let's now borrow from the Saw franchise. Let's have a flashback to yeah. reveal that this man's not actually blind. He was just using the disguise of being blind to hide out from the world in the asylum when all hell broke loose. Because to protect he thought it was the his safest family. Place. To protect his family. That's exactly right. Now, one of, of the astronauts. other things I... Of astronauts. That's a good point. Because I was like, okay, well, what does the flashback show? So he wants to protect his family of astronauts. Mm. One of whom is his okay. sister, who was the astronaut who went into space, who saw the space demon. Sick. So he has a new identity as a blind person, hides in this thing, shit gets loose. He realizes he's not safe. So he wears someone's skin to get out. Now, once he gets out, I've realized that like to further have a have like a further homage to Jordan Peele there's another societal comment in this film because it's called eyes up right what's the thing everybody's always criticized at the moment for always looking down at their phone everywhere they go but in oh. eyes up everyone has to guide themselves by their phone they can't look up there's no driving anymore there's those bike riding you just look at your phone you look at google maps to get yourself around and you follow the map on your phone so I, as we say that, I feel like we're drifting further from a horror film. I feel like we're a bit post-apocalypto, tech thrillery. Like, I think we need to have a phone explode and make someone's head blow up and go gore. Like, maybe we just do this, but add heaps of gore is what we have to do. I, for me, the key is to make sure we never forget that it's a space demon virus. Like, we can't... <laughs> And, and you're right, like we need to make sure that within 20 minutes, we've already seen some eyeballs explode. We've already seen someone wearing someone's skin. I also think as well, to borrow from Blair Witch, at some point he needs to wake up, you know, with his crew of people and there's some weird things left around the campsite that weren't there before uh, just to spook them out. Anyway. And, this and we is just make the tone nightmarish, just generally just make it a nightmarish tone. Just send that note to the director to be like, tone, nightmarish. Yeah, completely. Just be like, dude, just put a, like a yellow filter. <laughs> nightmare wash. Or something. <laughs> nightmare wash. Night nightmare filter. Okay, okay. All right, all right. Well, look, we will continue Eyes Up next episode, but right now we've got to come to your favourite part of the podcast. Mm -hmm. The bit that the podcast is based on where we take you through a scary movie synopsis from Wikipedia. Can't wait. the den fuck that's pretty spooky
So I just showed Pete the trailer for today's film, Kill List. And I think he liked it, but annoyingly, the, the, the trailer that came straight after featured a guy just wearing a sack on his head. And Pete is like, sick, that looks like the scariest <laughs> thing ever. Let's do The Den in an upcoming episode. <laughs> I don't think I've seen The Den. I'll watch The Den and report back to you. Because there's been a couple of films where I was like, oh, I'll watch this and maybe we'll do it for Spooko. And then I watch it and it's complete garbage. Here's the thing about horror films. I think with most films, with like, with, like, with films and music and to a lesser extent TV, there's probably like a 10% hit rate, right? Like 10% of it is three star or above. Yep. And, you know, worth your time. And then a smaller percentage are really great. And then a super tiny percentage are phenomenal, right? With yep. horror films, there is so much, like there's just, there's so much garbage. I think just because they're easy to create because it, it's, it's hard to orchestrate all of the factors together to make it work, you know, within the budgets they have. Um, Look, uh, look, uh, uh, like I can't, I can't give you a definitive reason, but the hit rate for good horror films is not mm. strong and probably okay. worse than most other genres. Fuck the den. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, all right, all right. So today's film, I, I, I sort of continued on a similar vein to where we were last week when we talked about The Wicker Man because... You've started a lot of beefs in this podcast and a lot of them, you know, fairly, and I'm not going to name them because they'll just, you'll just Get start the... up. <laughs> but I think a lot of them are just fun and are based on nothing. Like your attack of British horror, which I think is hilarious. Oh, uh, it's an attack I made before the Wicker Man was in my life. So I think it sort of falls away. So I, I was thinking about that. and I was thinking there's this really amazing heritage of, British horror films, whenever they tap into England's pagan history, which I, as I am, like, I don't really understand ancient history, but I do understand that England pre-Christianity was like a stonehenge worship earth god sort of vibe. Peach, is that yeah. right? Look, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you on that. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's right. I mean, that's, that's what all these films have, like, lead me to believe. So today's film is a more modern take on it. And it's, a, like, it's not another Midsummer because anytime you hear the, the term folk horror, it's almost definitely just retelling the plot of The Wicker Man in a slightly different way. As well, I think you can attest... comes into weird mm-hmm. pagan community and... Well, he's invited out. for some reason to a pagan community. Yeah. They're like, isn't this place weird? But then it turns out it's a human sacrifice. Sick, got it. The oldest, the, the oldest story thing. of them all. It's the oldest. It's one of the seven stories. <laughs> but okay, so this film, this film does folk horror up in, in a completely different way, uh, which is which is why I really wanted to do it. So it's called Kill List, and I think it's a, it's one of those films I don't think a lot of people have seen, and I think that's a shame because I think it's absolutely one of the strongest films we've done. It it maybe doesn't make as much sense as some of the other films. But in terms, of, in terms of leaving like a lasting effect and a, like, a, like, like leaving like this disturbing note in your brain that's always there. And let's say your brain is like at a perfect level and then every horror film like just knocks it half a degree to the left or the right and 
your brain just never sits quite right after. A good horror film should do that, and this does that. All right, so Sick. let's talk. Let's talk about uh, Killers today. Uh, it's it's from 2011. Its budget was eight hundred thousand dollars, and it made four hundred thousand dollars at the box office, which is which is rough. That, that is tough times, but luckily it's going to get a bit of a bump with its appearance on this podcast. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Go and watch Kill List. This is the yeah. first one where I'm like, hey, actually, maybe go and see this film. This is the spooko and, bump. It's good. And also, yeah, this is, this is, they'll see this in their, <laughs> like, in, their, in their spreadsheets. But real talk, though, revealing the plot of this doesn't change the experience of watching it because it's hard to decipher. Anyway, look, let's get into this. So Jay and Gal are former soldiers who have become hitmen since they left the military. While Gal is laid back, Jay is still suffering from an unspecified disastrous mission in Kiev. So this is a thing that they always call back to in this film. And I don't think they ever really talk about what happened, but something happened in Kiev. What happened in Kiev. Yeah. Great trope. I love it. I will never not enjoy that trope. So what's interesting about this is, even though we know this backstory of these two, the way this film starts is very much like one of those British working class slice of life films. I think Ken Loach is the director that does these films where it's very much depressing and it's like a kitchen sink drama. Yeah. Well, it's like, so I've been watching a lot of come dine with me lately. Right. I love it. I think it's the most perfect show on TV, but there's this unspoken rule in come dine with me that you're not allowed to be rich and go on the show. And if you are rich and you're exposed when they go to your house and you've got like this mansion and these lawns, you're basically voted off the show. You're basically like voted down and everybody hates you. And it's kind of your fault because how dare you? You don't deserve a thousand pounds, right? Yeah. And I like it, it, it kind of, it kind of opens my eyes to the fact that this class system is still very much a thing in Britain. Mm. And I think it comes to life in these films where it's very much set in this low to middle class area, this very suburban, outside of like urban area, not rural, beautiful England, not like fast paced London or Manchester, but just like suburban. Outskirts sort of vibe. 100%, like original office sort of vibes. So despite the urging of his wife, Shell, he has not worked since and they are running out of money. Shell organizes a dinner party to which she invites Gal and his latest girlfriend, Fiona, a human resources manager, just to show how normal and like, this is a really cool film because it starts like this and it could be one of those films. There's no hint that it, it doesn't start with a death. It doesn't start with anything. It's just two soldiers who've made questionable choices and life isn't going that well. During the evening, Gal reveals he has a new job for them which Shell encourages him to take. Meanwhile, Fiona goes to the toilet, carves a symbol on the back of the bathroom mirror and takes a tissue that Jay had used to mop up his blood after a shaving accident. Dick. So, okay, so, so Jay's convinced, he accepts the job with Gal and the two meet the shadowy client who has a list of three people he wants killed, the titular kill list. The employer unexpectedly cuts Jay's hand and his own so that the contract is effectively signed in blood. I'm into it. I'm having fun. I'm spooked. So their first target is simply called the priest. I feel like 
I feel like they took a lot from Eyes Up in this film, but <laughs> we could we could also learn a lot from this. Like, there's so many cool. This feels like a video game thing. to me. I'm having fun. It is like I guess it is structured like that. Yeah. So their first target, the priest, appears to recognize Jay, and here's the thing. This is where it gets weird. He thanks him just before being killed. Sick. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm now properly having fun. Keep in mind, Jay doesn't know who any of these people are. Yeah. So the second name on the list, the librarian, is an archivist who keeps a collection of horrific, sickening videos of an undisclosed nature. So they visit the archivist. They see these videos. Like, I mean, it's always implied that it involves kids in some way, but there's, you actually don't know what these videos are. They basically just have, like, physical reactions and are just like, you are a monster. How dare you? And this guy as well also thanks Jay. And Jay, who is so disgusted by the video, then tortures and savagely beats him to death with a hammer. Like, this is fun. I'm having fun. So Jay insists on chasing down and killing the archivist associates. And as Gal looks into their files, he finds a folder on himself and Jay, including details of their Kiev mission. Although they do not recognise it, the file includes the symbol that Fiona carved in Jay's mirror. Oh, sick. I kind of love that. And, and look, you, you're halfway through it so far. You're thinking, okay, cool. They're going to reveal exactly what happens in this film. And I just, I just want you to temper your expectations. Sick. So Gal informs Jay that while raiding the safe in the home of the second target, he took enough money to cover the total sum they would receive for the contract. The pair decide to abandon the contract and return home. When his cut hand becomes infected, Jay visits his doctor, only to find that his regular doctor has been replaced by another man who will only give him cryptic advice. Oh, uh, yes, 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 yes. Jay and Gal return to their client and offer to find replacements to kill the last name on the list. The client refuses and says that both hitmen and their families will be killed if they do not complete the contract. Shell takes their son Sam to the family's cottage for safekeeping while Jay and Gal go back to work. Their final mark, the MP, is a member of parliament who lives in a mansion. While observing the house, the pair witness a strange ceremony in the woods that culminates in human sacrifice. There's always human sacrifice. Fucking hell. Now, they get, there's this, there are all these amazing scenes where basically they, they're all these sort of cultists and they're wearing weird stuff. They're all wearing white, I, I believe, if I remember correctly. And they have to travel through this like stormwater drain to get onto the property. And it's, it's crazy. There's night vision. There's assault weapons that you think are going to be awesome and enough for them to take on whatever it is. And it turns out the assault weapons won't save them at all. It's awesome. Um, anyway, so Jay opens fire with an assault rifle and the leader of the ceremony presents himself for Jay to execute. Is the MP the leader of the ceremony? Or we don't know. Look, I, I, look, I think he might be. I don't think it's clear. I, I think it's implied, but it's not explicitly said. Oh man, this is sick. So he kills the leader and several cultists before the remaining masked members chase the hitman into an underground complex. It's, it's like a stormwater drain. And there's 
not a lot of light and there's people trying to trying to like do bad stuff anyway they capture and disembowel gal forcing Ugh. jay to perform a mercy killing on him so jay's the only one left now right <sighs> now remember gal forced jay into doing this there was a weird symbol and like all of this stuff it's seemed to be all about jay for some reason yeah so emerging from the tunnels Jay flees to the family cottage and meets with Shell. You know what? You know when I know it's an amazing film, is that you almost you're you're almost speechless. You don't have things yeah. to say about the film because you you're just like I just want to know what happens. Yeah, this is amazing. This is thrilling. This is what I mean. Like this is arguably somewhere between a thriller and a horror movie. But I think the, the cultists, the weird stuff. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's keep going. It's definitely Spooko. Oh, I love that. Whether it's horror or not, it is Spooko. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So now Jay escapes, right? He emerges from the tunnels and he flees back to the family cottage and meets with Shell. When he goes outside, and remember this family cottage is in the country, he sees that their cast tires have been slashed and lit torches have been placed around the nearby field. Uh. Jay attempts to locate their attackers, but he is knocked unconscious. Inside the cottage, Shell arms herself and shoots several invaders. Sick. Here's the final scene. Jay awakens in the field surrounded by the cultists who strip him and place a mask over his face. He is confronted by his last victim, the hunchback, a masked and cloaked person armed with a knife. After a brutal knife fight, Jay triumphs only to discover that the hunchback was his wife with Sam, his son, strapped to her back. Shell applauds to laugh as she dies. So she was in on it too, which is weird because she was shooting at them before. The cultists applaud and remove their masks, revealing Fiona, the hitman's client, and the man from the doctor's office among their number. Jay is crowned by the cultists. The end. Uh, fucking hell. Uh, it's upsetting, isn't it? Like, it's that, like, is it, is it spooko because it leaves you with that, that, that feeling of, of, as you say, having your brain genuinely pushed a few degrees off its axis? before you settle back in. Actually, I liked that a lot. I liked that a lot. That's the sort of one I like. I think maybe these like English pagan horror films are the path, the path out for those of us who spent a very scary evening at the Manly Quarantine Station in the early 90s. <laughs> Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?